We're actually in Deuteronomy 5. I'll turn there now. Deuteronomy 5, and we're looking at the fourth question that I, that I posed all the way back in January, which is how to make or how do you make disciples? So we've looked at the other questions, right? What is a disciple? Why make disciples? Who makes disciples? And we looked at that, last, that third question last Sunday. Anyone who's born again and anyone who listens to the Lord, you make disciples, because we cannot give what we don't have. So it's hard to guide others in following the Lord if we're not following him, okay? But today we're gonna answer this fourth question in two parts, actually, today and next Sunday, which, heads up, next Sunday will be the last Sunday I'm covering for Rick. So next Sunday will be the last, last Sunday you get to see this beautiful face on Sunday morning. Um, and then Rick will be back. I've called this apprenticing apostles for two reasons. As I explained again last Sunday, one of the best ways I've come to understand what it means to be a disciple is through the paradigm of what we would call an apprentice today. Back in January when I first started this, I called it journeyman in Jesus. When you think of a disciple, compare it to someone who's going through the trades, an electrician, carpenter, mason, because that's what it really means to be a disciple. Jesus is the master electrician, and we're journeymen. We're going through the process, learning with him. It's on-the-job training. And while we're doing work, and he equips us and builds us in our understanding, he gives us more and more ability and opportunity to practice what he's modeled to us, corrected us in, built up in us, equipped us for. So then the question is, how? First of all, an apprentice, AKA a Christian, is a full, immersive, experiential education and transformation. So if uh, the, the degree of our so-called discipleship is relegated to just one, one day a month, or one day a month, one day a week, compare that to someone who's going into the trades. They wouldn't last, they'd burn out. Something would have to change. And so when Jesus called his, his 12 to come follow him, and, and by extension through Matthew 28, has called all of us who believed in his name to come follow him, it's a full immersion, it, it is all or nothing. And that's Jesus. Jesus didn't partially die for our sins. He gave up everything to get us. So some people would ask, why should I believe in Jesus? I've, I've always come back to, well, he gave all of himself to me. How could I not give all of myself to him? We love God because he first loved us. So apprenticing, remember, it is, it is a day in and day out, moment by moment, experiential education that transform you, transforms you. And the second thing, the second reason, which is why I called this apprenticing apostles, is the word apostle, when you look at it in the New Testament and you actually look at it in the Greek, I'm not gonna get all into the Greek, but it's where we actually get the word missionary from. So let me make this clear. There are only 12 apostles of the church. Jesus made that really clear. Okay, there's not vacancies. 
Peter's not reclining in a hammock going, Jesus, can I you know, pass the baton to someone else? They're the 12 apostles. But to be an apostle of Jesus is to be an emissary, an ambassador. I could call this apprenticing ambassadors. Maybe that would have made more sense. But the apostle simply means someone who's called out, sent out. Jesus sent out his 12. And he modeled it to them. He did it with them. And when he left, he left them with the work. But he didn't leave it on their shoulders to do all the work. They still had to do it in his strength. They still had to lean on and depend on Jesus. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit. We see Jesus promised that explicitly in John chapter 16. We're called out of the darkness of this world by the good news of Jesus. And in our new identity as apprentices of Jesus, we're called to bring the good news of salvation in Jesus to others, to those around us making disciples of them also, wherever we go. Not converts to, hear me when I say this, we're not called to make converts to Christianity. That immediately has a connotation of a religious undertone. I I want us to get beyond that. Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to reconnect us with our Heavenly Father in whose image we were made. He is the only way, the truth, and the life because Jesus is God. So God had called Moses to call Israel out of their darkness. Not to the same extent that Jesus has thankfully called us out of this current darkness, this dark world, but God had appointed Moses to call Israel out of their dark world. Remember, Moses was sent to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, which led to death. Side note, I remember discovering this some years back, um, Archaeology reveals they found this huge, um, they excavated this site in Goshen, which is not where Pharaoh was based, but where the Hebrews lived, and they excavated all these skeletons of these Semitic people. The, the Egyptians are not Semitic people. And it, they started to see all these male skeletons, and most of them died out between the age of 30 and 35. That's how oppressive life was for the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. They couldn't make it past their 35th birthday. If you were 35, you were an old man. It was rare to go past that. God called Moses to deliver his people out of that incredibly heavy oppression that had an inevitable result in death. Moses delivered God's people out of slavery and death, and he's a picture of who Jesus is, who truly rescued us out of slavery to sin, which leads leads inevitably to death. So like Jesus, God had called Moses to lead Israel out of their darkness, but not just to save them, not just to go, you're free, now go do what you want. God had an intention in freeing his people. He had Moses deliver them out of slavery and death so that they could realize their true identity. And identity is a big issue in today's world. And and it's not just for young people. It's all people. I've seen plenty of people who come, they go through the Navy, successful career, they come out and they joke, I don't know what I'm gonna be when I grow up. (laughs) Many who have a hard time letting go of, who, who, who found their identity in what they did rather than in who they are. I think Michael Jordan is another great example of that. 
everything I see about that guy revolves around basketball. And he still, I'll see him on social media pop up and he feels like he has to defend his ability as the greatest basketball player against these other young bucks. And I'm like, Michael, it was decades ago. Let it go. You don't have anything to prove to anyone. But when I hear him talk like that, I go, I don't think Michael knows who, well, I know based on what I've heard come out of his mouth, he doesn't know who he is because all of his self-worth is based in what he can do rather than who he is. And that's why, (laughs) this is not even my notes, that's why Jesus told us we have to be converted and become like children because children don't find their worth and value out of what they can do at home. They enjoy things like yesterday, my father-in-law filled me in that, my son mowed the whole yard, which normally they do on a, you know, a John Deere. My son did it all with a push mower, all by hand. My father-in-law kept on going, you know, saying more than once, he was really impressed by how well this 10-year-old boy mowed the lawn. He mows the lawn better than I do. He takes joy in that, but my son's value is not in the chores he's able to accomplish and how well he's able to accomplish them. My son's value is in who he is based on who he comes from. Cam and I, grandparents, but even more than that, Jesus. So I just, I wanna throw that out there before I I go on. God saved Israel so that they could first know who they are, a holy people, a chosen race, a priesthood. God had called Israel out of darkness to become a holy people, set apart as his own possession to make his glory known among the nations. Israel was being apprenticed in becoming, you could say, a nation of apostles or missionaries to the world as a priestly nation, Exodus 19.6. That was God's original intent and desire for Israel, that they would be a whole nation of priests. Not one tribe out of the 12, all of the tribes would be a priestly nation. But as we see in Exodus 32, they got off the mark. But with that, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter five. So if you're unfamiliar or you weren't here in this study with us, Deuteronomy is now the second time that Moses is instructing the people of Israel in the law. The law that God gave Moses to pass on to Israel says here in chapter five, verse one. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, all those of us alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire while I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. So at this point in history, the first generation of Hebrews have died out in the wilderness. They're gone, kaput. And that's what he refers to. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers but with us, all those of us who are alive here today. Moses is speaking to the second generation. The first generation died out, as we talked about and looked at last week, because of their hard-hearted hearing. 
They heard with their ears. They saw with their eyes, but they didn't hear with their hearts. When God showed up in miraculous power, it just goes to show that faith truly does not come by sight. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They heard God's voice, but they didn't receive it. Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they'd heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Not because God didn't make himself plainly, simply, clearly, powerfully known. He was right there. So for all the folks who are like, if God's real, show, show yourself to me and then I'll believe. We see time and time again throughout scriptures, that doesn't do it. Moses was chosen by God to deliver Israel out of slavery and death, Exodus 3.10, for the purpose of facilitating them into faith, closeness with God to follow him as a nation of priests, Exodus 19.6. If you're taking notes, I've only got three points for you. Right now, the first point, we're looking at a facilitator. Moses was a facilitator. It's a, it's a, a different way of, of perceiving a prophet. But that's exactly what he did. God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to them. God showed Moses, Moses showed Israel. And it was through Moses that God used to draw his people into greater faith. He used Moses as a facilitator for his people to grow in their faith with him. God didn't just save Israel to save them. He saved them to reveal their true identity and purpose. They needed someone, though, here. They couldn't do this on their own. They, couldn't, they didn't save themselves out of slavery. They didn't leave Egypt of their own accord. They didn't survive through the wilderness to Mount Sinai on their own own best efforts, they didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps and make a way. They didn't pioneer the Sinai and the Arabian desert on their own. It was impossible for, what, upwards of three million people to travel, sick, old, little, infants, young. This was all done by God's hand, but he manifested himself through a man named Moses for the sake of drawing Israel to God, not to Moses. Israel couldn't do this on their own. They needed someone who was already close to God to facilitate their faith in how to have fellowship with God. That's all he's desired for his people Israel. That's all he desires for us. Relationship, all these things that we wanna do. Uh, how, you know, I remember for me, I for so many years was hung up on wanting to do these things God put on my heart, or I had a passion to bring the, the gospel and partner with others and bring the gospel to the Middle East. But God, fortunately, by his gentleness and patience, helped me see that what I do has to come out of who I am. And before Israel could do anything, they had to understand and they needed to have their identity founded and grounded and solidified 
through fellowship. And Moses was the man God chose to make that happen, to start that process. Israel needed a friend of God to show them how to have fellowship with God. And so I don't know if you're already picking this up, but for us, what's the application? Not that we are Moses and we don't live under the law, but like Moses, we're called. If you have received Jesus' call and you've received him as your Lord and Savior, you are now an apprentice. You are a called one. And he's called you to know him and to make him known to others. We've been appointed to be facilitators for others to come to faith in God. But a facilitator, a facilitator has to model that. There are things that, there are things that I, I've done to show my son how we do things. I remember a few summers back, Cam and I um, decided the kids would see us cooking and whatnot, and they, you know, little kids want to be a part of what their parents are doing still at that point. And so we decided, you know what, why don't we pick one day of the week for Ezra to cook dinner for the family, and then another day of the week, Judah will. So this was, yeah, if he's 10, you were like seven, seven or eight when you started, and he cooked, we were there assisting him, and in the beginning, it was slow going. We realized, wow, this takes a lot of time. <laughs> you don't think this until you start to go model it. It's like, okay, like this. Oh, they have a hard time just wielding the knife. I don't want my child losing a finger <laughs> trying to teach him how to cook. And it took time. But they become more and more proficient. There are times now where Cam, Cam's busy doing something and the kids are hungry and they can't wait. And Cam says, Judah, why don't you go fix something for your sister and you? Cam will, or Ezra will join in on that. But the point is they, that they learned how to do it because they watched us do it, and then we, in between cooking, we showed them the right techniques, the safe techniques, and how to cut vegetables, how to split them, everything from A to Z, A to Z, from the beginning to the finish, to the end. Israel needed that kind of facilitation to know how do I come close in fellowship with God? So again, for those of us here this morning who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, how does that look in your life? What does that look like in my life? Are we living lives that help facilitate others to come to faith and learn how to have fellowship with God? Remember, being an apprentice, though, is a full immersion experience. We couldn't just give our kids the tools. Cam and I didn't sit at the bar, give the kids the tools, and explain everything, and then walk away. We wouldn't be very good parents. We had to model it. We had to do it with them. I remember when I started driving, when it became incumbent upon me to get to places that I had always grown up my parents taking me, all of a sudden I realized I remember watching us drive to the grocery store, but now that I'm driving, how do you get to the grocery store? <laughs> Things that you just take for granted. Things that look simple and easy at first, and then you realize, I don't, I don't actually, I don't personally know how to do this. We need, we've all, all of us here have people in our lives who have served as facilitators. If no one else, our parents to some way, shape, form, degree. They facilitated us into becoming adults. Some of you are in that process of becoming adults, but so much of who you are and what you have is because of the parents God's given you. 
All this to say, what does that look like in our lives? Are we, like Moses, helping facilitate people into faith and facilitating them coming, drawing into fellowship with God? Do they see that in our lives? Israel didn't just hear Moses declare the Ten Commandments like Charlton Heston. They watched Moses speak it, and they watched Moses live it. They watched the kind of closeness that Moses had with God. There was a young man who, who watched Moses in his fellowship. It's Joshua. When Moses passed on, when God took him, Joshua took the helm and continued to lead Israel. How did Joshua know how to do that? A whole nation of people. He'd had a, he'd had a great facilitator show him. And it says in scripture, Joshua loved being close to the Lord. Moses imparted a desire and a love and a yearning, a longing for God into this young man's heart. So when Moses passed on, that longing continued and it was birthed in Joshua's life. Moses didn't just facilitate faith for a whole nation of people. He had personal people, he had people that he was in a personal relationship with who he was showing and they watched they watched and they heard, they observed as Moses interacted with God. Joshua learned his faith from Moses. This is why we as Christians, aka apprentices of Jesus, cannot afford to be like the world. If we live a polluted faith and we blend the values of this world with the values of God, there are two major errors that I I was able to think of, there might be more. We risk making one of two mistakes. The first one is, we might lead people to a made up Messiah, a counterfeit Christ. And that's going to confuse people and lead them astray. Israel made it to the promised land by the hand of God because the man he had appointed was true, he listened to God, he obeyed God, and as he listened and obeyed, they followed that obedience right to the promise. But there are a lot of people, pastors, churches, that are not declaring and teaching the full counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation. We're, we're, we're cherry-picking and and selectively choosing what kind of Jesus we wanna follow. I've heard that for years too, and it's getting more prominent. There are folks who confess Christ, but then their lifestyle doesn't match up with the words of Christ. And they, they'll, their argument is, well, that's not my Jesus. Part of me goes, yeah, I totally agree. That's not your Jesus. You're not following the Jesus of the scriptures. You're following a, a self-made Jesus, a Jesus that fits your paradigm, your opinions, your thoughts, your feelings. There were things that Moses was called to do by God that was not popular, not fun. When he came down off the mountain, kind of getting ahead of myself here, he came down off the mountain, he had to take the people of Israel to task. People had to die because of what, what God confronted them with. Incredible sin, the likes of which I can't even describe in detail because it wouldn't be appropriate. And Moses, being, being the facilitator for, for the Lord with, pe with the people of Israel, had to do some really unpopular things. But he couldn't deviate from his devotion to God, otherwise the people would drift. They would never make it to the goal that God had intended them to. 
The second, the second error of blending the world's values with God's values is people will see our contradictory faith evidenced in our values and they'll just shun Jesus outright. Why would I want this Jesus? A lot of people have grown up thinking, why, why do I wanna become a Christian? It's just a list of rules. I, and I see a lot of these Christians who tout this stuff as true, but then they go do the same things I do. They talk the same way I do. They value and live the same way I do. I heard it said this last week, and I couldn't agree more. We hear so many people say, oh, I identify as a conservative Christian. I'm a liberal Christian. I won't go down that road. But they put this adjective in front of the noun, which, which starts to imply that their devotion is to the first thing and not the last thing. I'm more concerned about being a conservative than I am being a Christian. Remember, Jesus was, he perplexed the people that he was around. He wasn't like the Pharisees. He wasn't like the Sadducees. He respected the authorities, but then he preached things that contradicted the values of the authorities, like, who is this Jesus? Jesus abided in the Father, and he lived the values of the kingdom of heaven. We're called, as Christians, aliens in this world. We're foreign to this planet, the values, the systems of this place, and we cannot dilute that. We're supposed to embrace that and walk in that, just as we see our mentor, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, live that out. So either, if we, if we blend the values of the world with the values of God, we're either going to lead people astray and confuse them with a counterfeit Christ, or people are gonna see that and get a bad taste in their mouth and go, they're hypocrites. They say this, but they act just like us. I don't want anything to do with that. We read an example of this between Moses, who facilitated the Hebrews to faith in Yahweh, versus what we see Aaron doing, remember, in Exodus 32 with the golden calf. He facilitated their faith in a forgery. And I, I remember when Rick went through this last, I never realized this, maybe a lot of you had, but it wasn't that the Israelites were worshiping another God in their mind. They made a God to represent Yahweh, which is exactly what God had told them not to do. Don't make anything in my image. Don't create something and say that's who I am because there's nothing like me. Instead of trying to come up with ways to, to understand who I am, take my word. Take me at my word. Paul said this to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So notice he doesn't say be imitators of me, period. He says, imitate me as I also am of Christ. In other words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because Paul's mission was not to make little Pauls, Paulines. It was to make Christians, apprentices of Jesus, devoted disciples of the Lord. And this is an important lesson for us who claim to know and follow Jesus. We cannot facilitate others to come to faith and follow Jesus if our own faith is flawed. Let me, let me explain that a little bit. I'm not saying we have to be perfect before we lead others to faith. But we have to be open and honest about who we are in our following the Lord. 
My kids, I want them to see when their mom and dad get things wrong. And then I want them to see their mom and dad, when they get things wrong, repent. Because our kids need to learn how to grow up and learn how to live a life of repentance. God is not looking for an opportunity to condemn us, but he's always making course corrections. So I'm not saying that we have to be perfect, but when we are living our lives contrary to his values, our faith is deviating from the Lord, from what he clearly teaches, we're operating out of a flawed perspective, out of a flawed fellowship with the Lord, and it could really hurt other people. Israel was ignorant, not, when I say ignorant, ignorance is just lack of knowledge. They were just ignorant, like children, in how to approach God, and they needed someone to facilitate their faith in and fellowship with God. And Moses, Moses is a picture of the law, so Moses was appointed to help facilitate the people of Israel in fellowship with the Lord. But Moses, we see throughout scripture, is a picture of the law. Does the law help people come together in relationship? The law is, is, is given for one reason, to, <laughs> to prosecute those who break the law, right? Sheriffs, highway patrolmen, cops, they don't hang on the side of the road with a radar waiting to give out gold stickers and lollipops to everyone who obeys the speed limit. They're looking for the lawbreakers. That's what the law is. God didn't give the law to Israel to show them this is what you must do so that you can be right with me. He gave them the law so that they would see this is what I must do to be right with the law or with the Lord, but I can't. How do I do that? Moses messed up. He messed up royally. And the people of Israel knew it, which is why he never got to enter the promised land. Moses was not perfect. But like David, he had a man, he had a heart after, he had a heart after God. And when he messed up, he accepted it. He submitted himself to the Lord for whatever discipline he had to experience. But unlike the law, which cannot connect us to God, love does. It's the love of God, which has been revealed through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the true facilitator of our faith. It's through Jesus we come to faith. It's through Jesus we come to know the love of God. It's through Jesus we come to know our identity. Jesus, who is the love of God, connects us with the Father. John 10, 1, 4, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door, verse nine. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We have to remember that. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So I wanna ask us a question before we get to the next point here. Does your lifestyle facilitate others to faith 
or is it causing them to fall away? That's a sobering question to come to grips with. So I pray you don't just answer it in your head right now and move on with your day. I hope it's a question that you take to heart, you talk to the Lord with. Is there, is there anything in my faith, in the way I see, when I say faith, I don't just mean belief. Paul said, I believe, therefore I speak. We speak out of what we believe. So it's one thing to say, no, no, I believe Jesus and then move on. Look at your lifestyle. What about the values in your life represent your faith in Jesus? Does your lifestyle facilitate others to faith or is it causing them to fall away or to ignore Jesus outright? So pick up with me in verse six here. Yeah, boy, I just skipped a bunch of verses here, didn't I? Oh, that's why. Never mind. Chapter five, verse 22. What we see in verses six through 21 are the 10 commandments. I'm not gonna get into that today. But in verse 22, we read, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick gloom with a great voice, and he added, no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you and we will hear and do it. So they recognize, wow, we've heard him and we're still alive. We've seen his glory in terrifying, awesome power descend on this mountain. He's come close to us. We've heard his voice audibly. We're still alive, but we can't handle it. Can't touch this. God is too hot. We need someone to go before us. And that's the next point here, an intercessor. An intercessor. Those who encountered the holiness of God in the Old Testament could not fully grasp it or understand it, let alone endure it. So they looked for an intercessor, someone who could mediate on their behalf. And that is why Moses was made. God knew this ahead of time. And that's why Samuel was named. In 1 Samuel 6, 20, we see the people of Israel saying something of the same effect. The men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up from us? And does anyone remember what Samuel's name means? Heard of God. Heard of God. It's what we talked about last week. Not coincidentally, Samuel's name comes from the root word hear. And the word hear in Hebrew, shema. You Bible students, when you hear that word, you know how significant that word is. That probably epitomizes the modern day belief of Judaism in a nutshell. Shema, hear. 
He says it in Deuteronomy 5.1. Hear, O Israel. He says it again in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. Hear. Listen, Linda. Listen to me. Pay attention. Don't just listen, acknowledge, and go on and forget what I just said. The action of hearing is way more than just observing noise. It, it goes way beyond that. In Deuteronomy 6.4, again, it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Moses was constantly advocating and interceding to God on Israel's behalf. That's what they asked him to do in verse 27, and we're gonna see here in a minute, that's what, that's what Moses goes and does in verse 28. Moses was constantly talking with and petitioning God to save Israel. If you go through the Exodus, when he leads them out of the wilderness, you think these people will never complain or grumble again. But what do we see them do? Constantly complain and grumble. They go three days without water in the desert. I get it, that's exhausting. But then if you read the original, like you start to look at the language that it was written in, Moses on more than one occasion was concerned about a nationwide mutiny. They wanted Moses' head on a, on a pike. It's, it got that bad more than once. Moses goes to Israel, or Moses goes to God, and he doesn't say, God, strike them dead. He says, please have pity on them. Have compassion on them. Why was Moses able to pray for a people who, who were like a, a thorn in his side, a constant pain in his neck? Because Moses had spent time in his faith with God. And so he was able to facilitate some pretty frustrating people into fellowship with God. God got frustrated with Moses too. He knew what it felt like to be, to frustrate God. God calls Moses on the mountain in Exodus 3. And over and over as God tells him, this is who you are, this is what I'm gonna have you do. Moses goes, are you sure? This guy? Not that guy? But Jesus, or Lord, I've got, I've got issues with my speech. I'm, I'm not a, a well-trained man. I, and he, goes up, he comes up with all these excuses. And God finally says, enough, enough. I don't wanna hear it anymore. Go and do what I said. Moses knows what it's like to get on God's frustrated side. And I, think, I believe because of Moses' relationship with God as a friend, he was able to have compassion on the people who frustrated him. And frustration is an understatement. Throughout his ministry, Jesus prayed to the Father on his disciples' behalf. I don't have the verses, but all you have to do is go through the Gospels. Maybe this is something you could do this week. Go through the Gospels, even just one of them, and see all the times where Jesus is talking to the Father in the midst of being with people. He goes to heal a man who's blind. And what does he do? He sighs. He says a couple words to the Father, and then he heals the man. You see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus, when he went to pray, wasn't, he didn't just go away early in the morning to a quiet place and pray for hours on end. He did that, but he was always talking with the Father, even in the midst of people, and people observed that. His own 12 observed that kind of connection and relationship with God as his Father. That's not how the Pharisees talk. That's not what the Sadducees teach. That's not how the pagans pray. Jesus, this rabbi is different. 
because he was facilitating them into faith in God as their father. And in order to do that, Jesus spent a lot of time interceding. Intercessor. Jesus instructs his disciples to follow his example in Luke 10 too. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I don't know when Les came up with this term, but it's ever since 2020, probably because Les heard, heard me complain enough. <laughs> but fortunately, and if you know Les, you know this is the kind of guy he is, he doesn't condemn you. He can be very strong, but yet gentle and even affirming at the same time. And I was sharing some things and people that were really, I was having a hard time with. And at some point in our conversation, he said, you know, let's stop talking the problem and let's just pray. I don't know about you, but I grew up learning how to talk the problem. We go on news and what do they do? They talk the problem and they point the fingers at everybody else. Jesus, Jesus didn't go and constantly gripe and complain to the Father about the 12 that the Father had given him. He prayed for them. Are there people in your life that, that you wanna see come to faith in Jesus, but they're making bad decisions, and you're like, man, I don't get it. Why don't they see how Jesus is the answer for all the issues in their life? And then we'll, we might go complain with our spouse, a sibling, friends, and before we know it, we're gossiping about this person, and it's really easy to slip into slandering them. And ironically, you got there because you originally cared about them. There's one person we can always go to and talk about anyone in any way, and it's not gossip. God the Father. It's time we, and I, I include myself in this, it's time we pray first of all, not last of all. That's really convicting to me. Because my wife this last week heard me complain about things I won't go into with you this morning. Grumble, complain, wallow in. And meanwhile, God the Father's going, any day, Jake, come talk to me. Come talk to me. And it's always, there's always an excuse. I will, or I know that's the right answer. Well, if you know it's the right answer, why don't you just do it, Jake? If it's so obvious, why don't you do it more? If you wanna make disciples of Jesus, you gotta intercede for them. We have to be praying for people. If we wanna see more people come to faith, what are we doing as a fellowship to get on our knees and beseech the Lord of the harvest. There are young people, I can say this, maybe not as an authority, but someone who's done work with young people for years. And I can tell you there is something happening right now, in, at least in this country, in this younger generation, late teens, young adults. They're hungry for the truth. They just don't know where to find it. And they don't have anybody to help them get there. And then some of us feel so disconnected, we don't know how to relate with them. Well, why don't we go to the Father? Jesus is, again, the perfect example of what it looks like to take the divine and translate it on our level. Jesus bridged the gap. 
Jesus facilitated us into faith. He interceded for us before we did, and he continues to pray for us even right now as I speak. Jesus, Scripture teaches us, is praying for you and I because he's the high priest of God. He is the high priest. What is the high priest's job? To intermediate for the people with God. But Jesus also called us to follow his example. How many of us are embracing that identity as a priest? I know that might be weird for some of you. He's called you as a priest to serve him. What do priests do? They help people. They pray for people. The priests of Israel interceded for the people of Israel. They would take the people, their concerns, their cares, and bring them to God the Father. And they would speak on God's behalf to the people. If we want to see more people come to faith in Jesus, if we really want to see this world changed by God's glory, we need to stop talking the problem and start Stop thinking and acting like we can save the world through our best efforts. We need to stop getting so hung up on the methods. There might be some really anointed people who have done great things for God, and there are some things you can learn from them, but the method is not a 10-step plan. The method is Jesus. Actually, the plan is Jesus, and the method is the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, to help us, to guide us, to comfort us. And he, he did say that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of unrighteousness. So if you're walking in truth, don't be surprised if you offend people. They're not offended by you. That's something I have to remind myself all the time of. Jake, you're not that important. If you're offending them and you spoke the truth, is it really you they're offended by? We need to stop acting and thinking like we can save the world. We're not gonna hand the, keys, hand the keys of the kingdom of God to Jesus for him to come. He's gonna do it. And we need to start going to our knees. We need to start praying. True, penitent, repentant petition for the Lord to save us. When Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, what do we think that was? Prayer. He's conversing with God. That's what prayer is. He's not just telling God all of his issues. He's not just asking God for help. He's listening. Daniel prayed in repentance for the sins of his people as well as himself. In Daniel 9, this man who in the scriptures is not recorded sinning, we know he sinned because he's not perfect, but nowhere in the book of Daniel do we ever see any of his sins highlighted. And what does he do when he prays in Daniel 9? He confesses his sins with his people to God. He interceded for his people Israel. Daniel is in Babylon because of the wickedness and rebelliousness of his people. And Daniel lumps himself in with that group and intercedes for Israel to God. We see Nehemiah do it in chapter 9 and we see Ezra do it in chapter 9. Once Israel faced God's glory here at Mount Sinai, they asked Moses to be their intercessor. But what made Moses different? He's flesh and bone just like them. Why wasn't he intimidated? Why wasn't he pulling back? Why was he able to come close to God when the others couldn't bring themselves to? James 4.8 and James 4.10 tell us, 
that the humble heart, the humble of heart can come close to God. And Moses is recorded being the most humble man on the face of the earth, incredibly humble. This is why Jesus came, because like Israel, we need someone to intercede for us who has a gentle heart. Moses was not perfect, we see that. He messed up. He finally met his wit's end, struck the rock, disobeyed what God had said, and because, because he was the prophet of God helping these people come to faith in him, he misrepresented God. He forfeited the opportunity to go into the land. Moses had to suffer the consequences of his own decision. But Moses was a man who was humble, incredibly humble. How was he able to do what he did? You have to be humble. If I was Moses, they would have never made it to Mount Sinai. If I'm gonna be honest, I don't think I would have made it that far. I don't know if I would have made it out of Egypt. If you notice, there are things that Moses had to deal with the people while still in slavery in Egypt. What made Moses different as a facilitator of faith and an intercessor to God compared to the rest of his countrymen? He was humble of heart. If you're gonna make disciples, get ready to swallow a big pill of humility. It's, it's not easy. And I'm looking at a crowd, many of whom are parents or were parents. So you know a little bit of what I'm talking about to parent kids requires humility on behalf of the parents. Because you can tell the kids over and over till you're blue in the face. And they'll acknowledge you and say, okay, and move on, and then not do what you just told them. So how can you make sure that you equip them and raise them up to be men and women who were confident, who were gentle, who were loving? If we browbeat our kids all the time, they're not gonna grow up with that. But man, I'll be the first one to say, sometimes my kids really test my patience. But I'm the parent, not them. <laughs> I'm supposed to be more mature than they are. I'm supposed to operate with long suffering and humility. That doesn't make an apology for when they make mistakes. All this to say, Jesus came to Israel, his own people. He came to earth, he came to his own people, and he was humble of heart. We need someone to intercede for us to God because we cannot come close to God on our own. So whenever you find yourself getting frustrated with someone you're mentoring in faith or just another Christian, just remember how much Jesus has had to deal with you and I also. He says, forgive your debtors as I have forgiven you. He's forgiven us of so much. Hebrews 7:23. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. So here's the difference between Moses and Jesus. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. And here's what I wanna highlight, verse 25. Therefore, he is able also to save forever, forever, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. When I realized that Jesus, you know, a lot of us have asked, what is Jesus doing now that he's up there in heaven? Is he just sitting on his throne? He just sits there and just waits? No, 
He's the high priest. This is why it's important to know who the high priest was to Israel on earth because the high priest is just a dim shadow of who Jesus is, our high priest. He prays for us. If Jesus is praying for you and I, what are we doing to pray for others in our lives? Are we talking the problem? Are we gossiping about people who frustrate us? Or are we going to the Father who is the only one who can fix their hearts in the first place? And ours as well. The, the other person is rarely ever the other issue. The issue at hand is how I respond to the person. And we need to learn to respond in prayer first. Leviticus 20, verse 26. Thus you are able to, I'm sorry, thus you are to be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Consider this with me. Jesus became human like us so we could be holy like him. That's a profound thing right there. And there's so much touted and praised on our world about, you know, my faith in humanity. And we think the, the quintessential, the, the paradigm for truth in life is us. We miss the mark. Jesus didn't come to affirm us in our humanity. He came to save us from our humanity and to make us holy like him. Because God's design for us since the beginning was to make us children, his children. God doesn't want to make us more human. He desires to make us more holy, holy like him. 1 Peter 1, 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So brothers and sisters, if we wanna see the lost saved, we need to be less like the world and more like Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus does all the time is pray. We've got to be, we've, we've got to grow in our desire and our ability to intercede. Because you could be very gifted as a speaker, as an apologist. You can make a defense for your faith and, and dumbfound and shut down all the critics and opponents. But if you're not able to communicate love to them, if you're not able to win their heart, you could have won the conversation, but you lost the person. I started to learn when I was in college, as I started to grow in my ability to share my faith, I started to realize, man, there were times where I had conversations with people where like, I answered all their questions, all of their objections, I showed them to be null and void and false. I had them dead to rights, and yet they walked away unchanged. And I started to realize, and I don't remember when and who, I think it was a number of people and situations, the Lord brought to my attention, Jake, you're not talking to me first before you go talk with them. Maybe I want you to say something differently. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'm the one that changes their heart, not your eloquence or your ability to argue and debate rhetoric. You might know the truth. The Pharisees knew, quote, the truth but they were blind at the same time. Jesus came praying before he went into ministry. What was Jesus doing before he healed and saved people? 
He prayed for them. We see it in Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, when your heart has been converted, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter before Peter was tempted and failed. He prayed for him. And as the church goes, so goes the nation. The reason for the depravity and spiritual insanity we see in our country, I believe, is because we as the church have forsaken holiness and we've boiled our prayer down to religious incantations before meals and bedtime. Again, I wear that with you. When do I pray? Before my meals and before bedtime. But Jesus said, do not cease praying. Jesus never stopped praying. He was always talking with the Father. That is, that is one reason his ministry was so successful. We can relegate and go, well, Jesus is God, so that's why he's successful. He emptied himself of his glory, Philippians 2 Chapter two tells us, Jesus put on flesh. He was acquainted with our weakness as humans. He modeled to us how to live this life. And how did he live his life? He didn't lean to his own understanding. He acknowledged God in all his ways. He trusted in the Lord with all his heart. He leaned on and depended on the Father. If we want people to see the Father, we have to face him. The people of Israel saw God through Moses because Moses was always looking to God. I remember um, years back, some of you know uh, a brother of ours, Ray Remt. I asked him to sub for me one Tuesday night, Tuesday and Wednesday night, I think, for our students. And when I got back from vacation, I wanted to take him out to lunch and ask him what he thought. And there were lots of things that he observed and experienced, but I'll never forget, and I'm sure I've said this before up here on a Sunday, so some of you have heard this. I'll never forget. Ray said to me, Jake, if there's one thing I would encourage you to do with these students is teach them the fear of the Lord. I was like, I mean, that sounds, so I remember hearing that going, yeah, good. Inside, I'm like, what exactly does he mean? How, how do you teach students the fear of the Lord? When we have a, a truly whole perception and understanding of God's holiness, we start to operate more in the way he's called us to function and live. All this to say, when we have a fear of the Lord, we start to recognize our need to pray to the Lord for the people and the problems in our lives. Again, not last of all, but first. First and foremost, if my ministry is not bathed in prayer, I'm not gonna be able to do the things God's called me to, the things that I want to do. And I've seen that many, many times in my life. I get ready to teach, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna hit this one out of the park, and it falls flat. Hopefully this doesn't fall flat with you this morning, because I have prayed over this. Prayer, interceding for our kids, for our grandkids, for our neighbors, instead of grumbling and complaining about your neighbors next door who may be super woke, left, 
everything antithetical to the Bible, pray for them. Don't grumble about them. That doesn't accomplish anything. Verse 28. Go back to chapter five, verse 28 with me. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Before I go any further, Remember, Moses is talking to the second generation of Israel. But the second generation, many of them were at Mount Sinai as kids. They remember seeing God come down on the mountain. But why did God descend on Mount Sinai with such tremendous ferocity? He didn't do it to terrify Israel. He didn't do it, I should say, to intimidate them or strike terror in their hearts. That, that was not his goal. The goal was to show his holiness on display in contrast to their profane and polluted humanity. Why? For the purpose of maturing them into holiness through humility. Holiness comes through humility. Why was Moses able to do what he did? How was Moses able to lead Israel to God and lead them to the promise? Because Moses was a humble man, and humble men and women constantly are in intercession with God the Father for help, for his guidance, for his inspiration, for his power. Because as, as well as some of us know our faith and, and can reason the scriptures, if the Holy Spirit is not inspiring it, it's just words coming out of our mouth with no power behind them. I've said some things in the past to people that to me, on the surface, it was Simple, really simple. And all of a sudden, you can see the light come on inside. And they're like, wow, what you just said. I'm like, what did I just say? Because it wasn't Jake. It wasn't Jake in, in his knowledge, in his so-called wisdom, in his memory of Bible verses. It was the Holy Spirit using me to speak into the heart of a person. God, Jesus was interceding for that person. Jesus was praying for me. That's a funny one. We want to pray for people who don't know Jesus. We also need Jesus. We need to pray that, <laughs> be thankful that Jesus prays for us as we go to share our faith with people who don't know him. I know that what I, I, I'm beating this like a dead horse. I get it. It's, it. It just, I can't get past it. Any more than I could last week about hearing God, hearing him speak to me in my heart. If this is not done, again, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus sent to equip us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, if we're not praying to the Lord, to the, to the Lord of the harvest for more labors, we shouldn't expect to see more people come to faith. I do wonder, though, many of us heard about what's happened in Asbury, Kentucky, I submit to you the reason that happened was because for, for many, many, a long season, there were people who we don't know by name, only God does, who have been interceding for that. Maybe not for the Asbury event, 
But think about it. Jesus came on the heels of John the Baptist's ministry. God had set it up, and at the right time, Jesus came. Israel's heart was ready. There were a lot of Jews who came to faith in Jesus. And then, through that, the Gentile world, of which we're part of. Why didn't God come earlier in human history? Why did he come when he did? I believe intercession has a big part to do with that. People wonder about the Jesus revolution in the 70s. I think there are a lot of people who were praying that we don't know about. We're trying to find all these metrics. What was happening? It defies human logic. We shouldn't have seen all these people come to faith in the 70s. Hippies drugged out of their mind? Why? Because the Holy Spirit was at work. Because I do believe there were people who were praying. If we want to see a move of God, we need to pray to God for that move. Why did God come to Israel in such a terrifying demonstration of his power? He was sobering their hearts into faith so that they could draw close. You can't come close to God without, without some type of fear. When I say fear, a respectful reverence for who he is. 1 Peter 4, 7 tells us. So when I begin to personally understand what holiness is, how much holier God is compared to me, and how woefully and hopelessly separated I am from him because of my own impure humanity, I finally begin to develop a fear of God, and I realize my need for someone to intercede for me so I can come close. I think what I've observed in my life, the people who we would call prayer warriors are that way because they've come to a realization and an acceptance that they're woefully inadequate to be who God's called them to be and to do what God's called them to do. They've recognized, they've come to grips with, I cannot do this. And so why do they pray? Because they're in desperate need for him. We all are, but they're the ones who recognize, I need him. It's like a little kid. Little, little kids, when you give them a task, go clean your room, they open the door to the room and there's this mess. Right, Ezra? I remember feeling like this, but I can't tell you how it filled me with confidence when my mom or dad came into my room and started helping me clean. And they were doing it so quick. And they started to tell me, okay, you go do this. I've learned that. And so I've done it, a, maybe I've done it more with Judah than Ezra. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed looking at your, your room too, Ezra. So I remember coming into Judah's room. He's like, oh, you know, it's like, clean your room. When you're done, clean your room. You can do all this. And it's like, I don't know how to do this. And I said, I, I, I think one time I said, why don't you ask me? Have you ever thought about asking me how to clean your room? And he's like, oh. So I said, okay, instead of looking at the whole room and going, I have to do all this, I want you to just do this. And when you've, when you've put all your dirty clothes into your dirty laundry, come talk to me again. So he did that and he came back. It was like, okay, what's next? Okay, now I want you to don't do anything else, just make your bed. Don't touch the toys, leave the clean clothes where they are, don't do anything else, just make your bed. When you're done making your bed, come talk to me. He made his bed, came talk to me. And man, that room got done fast because he came and talked to his dad and his dad gave him help and guidance. We would be amazed at how much more efficient our lives are if we just went and talked with dad. I don't know what to do. He's not gonna say, you have to do all this. He's gonna say, just do this right here. 
Okay, now let's do this right here. But a lot of us are stuck here going, God, why? And he's like, because you didn't do the last thing I told you to do. You will literally not be able to move to the next thing until you do the last thing I told you to. But you're not gonna know what it is if you're not talking with me. How do I talk with my family member about Jesus? How do I share my faith with my neighbor, with my coworker? How do I come alongside and help a fellow, fellow disciple? Because again, we're not discipling people to become like us. We're discipling people to become like him, which means it's a group effort. And actually the reality is we disciple each other. We're all, God uses us to bring points of mentorship into each of our lives. You've done it with me, I do it with you. Why? Because we're all kids and we're all learning together how to follow the Father. When we see our depravity in light of God's divinity, we can begin to truly appreciate and desire Jesus to be our Lord and to be our Savior, to cry out to him when we have needs, and we have a lot of them. So here's the next question before we look at our last point. What does your daily intercession look like for disciples and for future ones? What does your daily life of prayer look like? And I'm not just asking how often or how long do you pray. We need to get that out of our heads. I, I didn't tell Judah to come talk to me, but you have to talk to me. You have to meet your quota of five minutes every half hour. That's so religious and strict. And what's the point? He needs to come talk to me as long as he needs to talk to me until he can get this figured out. So if it takes him 30 seconds, great. If it takes him 30 minutes, then I'll, then I'll wait and we'll be patient and we'll talk about it. Usually, if it takes 30 minutes, I'm more patient than he is. And that's another problem that we face, right? When God had, is, when God had Moses come up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments, it didn't happen in 40 minutes. It happened in 40 days. And in that time, Israel strayed. They went, they went berserk in the lust of their flesh. How can I develop perseverance in prayer? There's only one way to do it, and that's do it. I've also, I think, shared this story. When I was uh, playing football in high school, I was a defensive lineman, but, and I was quick with my hands, but I was not a fast runner. I'm still not a fast runner. I run fast, Dave, but I'm not a fast runner. <laughs> I can still hustle, but I was never like fast in the 40 yards or the 100 meters. Give me five yards and I'll be on you before you know it. After that, yeah, I'm grit out of the blocks. After that, it's, it's gone. So I'm talking with the, uh, the coach for the defensive backs, wide receivers, even the running backs. He coaches guys who are fast on how to be fast. So I asked him, Coach Roberts, I wanna get faster, I wanna decrease my 40 yard dash time. What do I do to get faster at the 40? And he said, do it. Huh? I'm just thinking, okay, what you need to do is get the parachute, because I saw the sprinters, track and field, they had the chutes, they had the sleds, they had all these different programs and how to increase their speed and their fast twitch muscles, and he tells me, run the 40 yard dash. Well, that's my problem, coach. I'm not fast at it. I want to increase my speed. And he said, do it, and do it a lot. If you want to get better at something, you have to do it a lot. 
There's just no other way around it. I was watching uh, yesterday a um, Japanese man who was an architect, and then he left that trade, and he's now known in Japan as a gyoza master. Like, he only does one thing. He makes pot stickers. That's all he does. But they're unrivaled in the whole of Japan. And he talked about how to, what was it? He talked about how to fold the dumplings, and he says, it took me three years to, to learn how to fold the dumpling perfectly. Three years to do this. But he's a master at it, and he's called a master for a reason. You don't gain mastery over something in one short spell. This comes to mind. Some of you have said this over the years. You saw me when I first got up to teach for Rick. It was back in the barn. I was a hot mess, sweating bullets, right? I think my shirt was drenched when I woke, came up to speak. And I remember that Jake back then, and I've had some of you come up to me and say, Jake, I just want you to know, it's been so neat watching you grow. And I'm like, thanks. Yeah, you, you've, you've grown as a teacher. You've gotten, you're, you're, so, you're so, what is it? I mean, people will say, I mean, you, you were good back then, but you're a lot better now. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> was, was that a compliment? <laughs> the point is a lot of you have watched me grow over the years as a teacher. And I still have far, far to go. I haven't been at this nearly as long as Les and Rick have or the other pastors and preachers you've heard. But I'm able to do what I'm able to do now because I've been doing it every week for the last 12 years on a repeat basis, more than once during a week. If we wanna grow in our ability to pray, we just have to do it more. And we have to settle in and go, okay, I'm not gonna rush through this. I'm gonna spend as much time as you need me to, as I need to, before, to, to accomplish the purpose of this prayer. Just be thankful you haven't been in prayer for 40 days and 40 nights. So if, so if you, you're coming short of that, you've still got plenty of time. All that to say, we need to look and take an introspective look at our intercession. How do we make disciples? We facilitate. How do we make disciples? We intercede. And lastly, we need to live an example. Look at verse 30 with me. Chapter five, verse 30. He says, God says to Moses, and Moses, it's so funny, Moses is recounting this to the second generation. It's like hearsay on hearsay. God said to Moses, who said to them, return to your tents. But as for you, God says to Moses, stand here by me, that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statues and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe in the land which I give them to possess. So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Let me go back up to verse 32. He says, so you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Side note, God doesn't give us commands to make our lives 
dull or hard. He gives us commands so that we have boundaries so that we can flourish and prosper in our life. So again, Moses here is relating to the second generation about his intercession for them with God. He's telling, he's literally recounting to them his prayers to God for them. Moses was praying with God for Israel before God even made them a nation. Jesus was praying for his disciples before they actually came to faith. I don't know if you realize this, but his disciples didn't actually come to faith and salvation until after his death and resurrection. Up until then, they were still unsaved. He was discipling them into faith. Oftentimes in the Western model, we wanna get people to faith and then we'll disciple them. Food for thought. Moved by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote to the Thessaloniki Christians about how to daily and powerfully live in the Spirit. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And like Moses, Paul worked tirelessly as an example to God's people to show them what it meant to be part of what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5, the priesthood of God. What do priests do? They pray. What are Christians we're a holy people, a priesthood of God. Second Thessalonians 3, verse seven. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. I'm sorry. For you yourselves know how, yes, you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. If you wanna make disciples, you have to live the example. We can't expect people to come to faith if they don't have the example to do so. After Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John's eyes, he comes down off the mountain. Oh, this incredible moment. He comes down off the mountain. He comes down, Peter, James, and John come off this spiritual high and they descend right back into human depravity. It's like, man, when you start to see all these great moments and then they encounter the people, you're like, man, God's patience with humanity is incredible. He comes down off the mountain and he walks upon a cacophony of chaos, strife, and demonic assault. Turn over with me to Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. Mark nine, verse 14. Mark nine fourteen. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, that's Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples, okay, Jesus is 12, minus Peter, James, and John, to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. 
They brought the boy to him. When, they, when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father. He prayed right there on the spot. He prayed. How long has this, I'm sorry, let me back up. He's asking the boy's father, sorry. He, <laughs> he's not praying to him. How long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So what does that imply? Jesus was praying before this happened. Jesus was talking with the Father before he encountered this. The first thing the Lord brought to my attention before I read Mark was James chapter 3, verse 13, which says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Is that not the very situation Jesus walked into? Disorder. And jealousy, selfish ambition. The scribes were arguing. The disciples were trying to cast a demon out. Then the scribes come and, you know, they start arguing with them about how to cast out the demon. The boy is still in his horrible state, possessed by a demon, tortured, ravaged. And the, the father's watching this. It's like, I need help. And these guys would rather argue with each other about who's more spiritual. Jesus walks into this situation and he's able to quiet and clean up the mess. Why? Because he had spent time praying. This situation, this problem is not going to get resolved any other way except by prayer. We need to pray. And the reason I bring it up is because Jesus was demonstrating and teaching them as an example. Remember, the disciples had already been sent out to cast out demons. They had done this before. That's why they were perplexed. Jesus, you've given us authority. We did this in the past. How come we couldn't do this one? And he gave them an example. He cast the demon out and he said, this only comes out by prayer. I pray, boys. Do you pray? How often do you pray? If you want to be able to do this, you need to pray more. Not an eloquent speech, simple, honest, tried and true conversation with the Father. Then you'll be prepared. Moses had a similar experience in Exodus 23 through 31. He goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses' face is glowing. 
okay? He's in the presence of the Holy One. Jesus is transfigured before his disciples, and they see him for a moment in his true form. And then Moses comes down from the mountain, and what is he confronted with? Chaos. Demonically inspired debauchery. What does Jesus come into? Demonically inspired division and strife. This is exactly what James 3, 14 and 16 talk about. So how did Moses put a stop to this? He didn't do it by himself. If you remember, Moses did not come down and quell this rebellion by himself. In Exodus 32, 25, now when Moses saw that the people were out of control because Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. How did Moses enter such a depraved and deluded situation and somehow find godly people to join him in being God's light in such darkness? Moses had just spent 40 days and nights with God. That's how. Think about it. We live in a dark world and we, we wrap our minds around we start to feel hopeless. Oh, this world's coming undone. That's because we spend too much time listening to the voices and the pundits and the talking heads of this generation instead of talking with the God of heaven and earth. That was the same problem Elijah had. Do you remember that? He gets to Mount Horeb, right? After doing this incredible feat in God's name, 450 prophets of Baal, done. Fire from heaven fell down on the altar and not only took the offering, it took all the water out of it. I mean, it left that thing scorched. And then Elijah runs. He tucks tail and gets out of Dodge, and he's by himself in Mount Horeb, exhausted, dying of thirst, and he just says, God, take me now. I'm the only one left. There are no other righteous people who love you. And God says, oh, Elijah, I have 7,000 just like you. You're special, but you're not that special. You're not the only one. It's not on your shoulders, Jake, to make sure America comes to Christ. Well, then what do I do? Talk to me. Just come talk to me. How was Elijah able to do what he did with the 450 prophets of Baal? Before that, what was he doing? He was praying. There are other people in this country who are hungry for Jesus. How are we gonna find them? Same way Moses did. He went and spent time on the mountain with God. And when he came down, he made a proclamation of an invitation. And God, by the Spirit of God, he brought the, the faithful followers out of the woodwork. You and I don't need to come up with strategies and methods in how to find people who are hungry and thirsty. But if you are living off of the fountain of the living God, the thirsty will come. Why? Because you're where the source is. But why are they gonna come to Jake and try and get their thirst satiated when Jake's parched and thirsty too? Oh, I have the answer. And they're looking at me like, do you? Because you look as thirsty as we do. Levi gathered to Moses. Why? Because Moses spent time with God. And if we will come to him, he will unlock the storehouses of heaven to give us favor. Why? Because we first desired him. How many of us and I say this to my own shame, how many of us have preached and promoted how people need God and then we don't spend our own time with him? We talk about how good God is, 
but in our daily life, we're too busy for him. Why would God bless that? He doesn't want us to lead people astray if we're not already faithfully listening to and following him. So let's bring this to our time today as we stand on what I think is the brink of the rapture. This this world is coming undone. It's unraveling. And I know everybody here agrees. It's just going from bad to worse. If we take a page out of Jesus' notebook in Matthew 4, we will know how, when, and where to find faithful followers. What was Jesus doing in Matthew 4? He was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights with the Father. I believe wholeheartedly Jesus' quote, success in ministry rided on two things. He had to walk in the Spirit of God. Notice, Jesus doesn't perform any miracles until he's baptized. So this whole notion of him making doves out of mud, as far as I'm concerned, that's a human tradition that's not founded in Scripture. We don't see Jesus doing miracles until he's clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. And equally of importance, after he's clothed with power, what does he do? He doesn't just start going after it and make, doing ministry. He leaves everybody and he spends 40 days and 40 nights without food, without water, in the company of his father. That was his first goal. Baptized in power and he went to go pray. We need to learn to pray first of all, not last of all. Jesus drove out the demonic disorder and selfish ambition by being prepared beforehand, by praying. When Jesus walked into moments like this, he was already equipped in the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17 tells us to do battle, to deliver the demonically enslaved, and to to identify and receive people who were ready to join God's kingdom. But we can't do that if we're not praying. You know what's written right after Ephesians 6, 17 about the armor of God? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. He says prayer three times and the sentence isn't even done. That should say something to us. That should highlight something to Jake. Jake, you need to pray. Not so that you're, quote, meeting your religious quota. You need to talk with the Father. How can you know what the vision ahead is if you don't go to the visionary? Prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So think about this with me for a second as I close. Worship team, you can come up if you want. How was Moses able to say, have hope? How was he able to have hope? How was he able to be prepared How was he able to raise up a second generation of Israelites after he just saw the first woefully fall and fail? I don't know about you, but if I was Moses and the first generation forfeited it, I'd be like, sorry, God, throwing in the towel. This isn't gonna work. These people don't want it. But he doesn't throw in the towel. How was he able to to be a part of watching a second generation of God's children rise to the challenge in the context of a deeply depraved Canaanite culture. It wasn't like he was leading them into Disneyland. Well, that's not a good paradigm. It wasn't like he was leading them into, imagine some fairyland that's perfect and there's nothing wrong, okay? He's leading them into a land where they're now going to have to come face to face with the demonic and the dark, 
Where, where was his hope? How could he do this? He spent time in prayer. He spent time talking with and listening to the Lord. Prayer is essential in knowing how to make disciples. If we wanna make disciples, we've gotta be in prayer so that we can facilitate, so that we can intercede, so that we can be an example. Before he started appointing his 12 apostles, Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights with the Father, unencumbered, and there was no agenda except, Father, what do you have for me? So last question, how does your Christian example look to your family, your friends, and your coworkers? It's not a loaded question. I'm not asking that question to imply your faith looks pretty crummy. <laughs> That's not why I'm asking it. I want us to take an introspective look and go, what does my example look like? Can people see God's values at work in my life? Are the thirsty and the hungry coming to me because they see I'm getting satisfied on the bread of life, filling up on the eternal fountain of joy? Peter says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Why would I need to be prepared to give a reason? Because they're coming to me asking, Jake, what do you have? You're different. You have something I want, but I don't know what it is and I don't know how to get it. Can you help me? There. But before I start helping facilitate them into fellowship with God, I needed to already be in intercession praying for them to God and for myself, let's be honest. Moses prayed to God for himself and how to lead Israel. So if we wanna make disciples, we need to go to Jesus to facilitate our faith through prayerful intercession, living by his example. If you wanna know God, Jesus is ready to make intercession for you this morning. If you're in this crowd this morning and you've gotten any, any of this, I know some of you are really tired and I know my voice has a tendency to put people to sleep. I, I know that. But if you're here this morning, <laughs> if you're here this morning and you're like, I know about Jesus, but I don't personally know him, you could start that today. If you have people you desire that you wanna see Jesus save and transform, let's pray together and intercede for them. You can do that right now. We're not gonna pray for you. We don't have some higher anointing. We have the Spirit of God with us as much as you do who know Jesus, but we'd love to pray with you. And lastly, if you want other Christians to become passionate followers of Jesus, be the example. Be the example by following the example. Show them by living a holy life devoted to God in prayer and practice. I just wanna encourage all of us to facilitate opportunities so that people can see, hear, and experience God for themselves. But they're not gonna do it if they don't see us doing it first. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. I know that this has been another, there's probably a, some, some strong exhortation in this teaching, and I, I don't mean to come off self-righteous. If I did, I apologize. That's, that's not my intent. But you, you are straightforward with us and you call us. You call us to peace and rest and quietness. But as you told your people through Isaiah, they wouldn't have it. And so they were overcome. Help us to not be overcome by the darkness, but overcome the darkness with your light, which means we have to be connected with you. We cannot give to others what we do not have ourselves. So Lord, would you inspire us as your people? Follow your example so we can be an example to others. 
Lord, and if there's anyone in this, this fellowship this morning or who watches us later who doesn't, who doesn't have a relationship with you yet, I trust Holy Spirit and ask that you would guide them into that relationship with yourself. Thank you again for this hour, these two hours, and uh, I ask that you would encourage and bless your people this morning in your name, amen. Mm-hmm.